basically, the panel is nearly com complete. Uh, Stefan Staub um, unfortunately had to leave for the airport again, so he won't be taking part in the panel. And uh, Wolfgang Neidl, I'm sure he'll be back in a second, uh, so he'll, he'll come in and he'll join the panel um, in, in a minute, I guess. I, I really would like this to be informal, and I really would like to give you, um, the, the audience, a, a good say now in the panel discussion. Uh, so please, if you have questions, ideas, uh, remarks, comments, uh, the, the panel is here to answer to your comments, but also please start discussions uh, be between yourselves. So hands up who wants to make comments uh, or start off. Okay, you've got one. Um, I, I noticed in your uh, in the last of the presentations that the background was a scene from Minority Report. Is that still the future of HCI in multimedia knowledge management? Uh, okay. That was to anyone on the panel. Um, in principle, uh, kind of interfaces like minority report uh, uh, have not been developed so far. So uh, everything what Steven Spielberg did was simply uh, make an animation of uh, this kind of interface, but it doesn't uh, doesn't work, and we do not still have these kind of things. Now, if you think what uh, Microsoft is doing with this. Uh, uh, kind of touch panels, it is very, very approximate to what uh, Minority Report uh, interface was doing. So I would, uh, I think the question actually is much better to answer by. by well, I'm, just gonna, <laughs> I'll, I'll just sort of disagree slightly. There's one of the, one of the researchers in MSR Redmond uh, is actually working on something he calls touch light, I think, which is very much like the Minority Report. It's a clear sheet of glass with an interface kind of like you saw on the, on, the, on the horizontal surface, but where you can hold things up to it and copy them and move them around and sort of in kind of midair. So people are, and, you know, and, and he's not the only one working on this. So, so there certainly are people working on this kind of thing now. And whether it's the whether it's it's going to be the the thing that takes over or not, you know, is, is sort of hard to say. But I think you know, living in Cambridge, where there's a lot of startup companies doing doing things on new sort of modern um, and uh, sort of cost-effective, thin, flexible display technologies, I think that is going to be a sort of larger surface space, whether they're horizontal or vertical surface-based computers is or interfaces is probably going to be something that you see coming more and more over the next you know, 10 years, I would say. Actually, if, if I can follow that up with another question to, to the rest of the panel. Do you feel there's a future of 3D uh, coming right around the corner at some point? 3D interfaces? I mean, once again, there's I, I can think of, of, of <coughs> a few people working in that area, some of them within Microsoft, um, some of them at 3M. Um, it's I, to my mind, everything I've seen is still pretty early days, right? So I think I think that's probably a lot further out. Um, the, it is very similar, actually, for holography. One way or the other, holography stopped being researched. I have no idea why. Probably because of the cost. But uh, in principle, a true, true 3D would be something like that. And um, I am not aware of, of, of anything out on on the market. Uh, yeah, another thing that comes to mind is uh, gesture-based uh, interface 
in the last year in the computer games industry, um, you've had this new phenomenon, which is the Wii interface of Nintendo, which has completely changed uh, the area. And the it's actually the if you look at the new consoles, the next gen, next gen consoles, it is the one that had the uh, it was the low key tech uh, entry. Uh, but it's actually the one that has been the most successful. And the reason is here's an, a, a new type of interface to play games which changes the way uh, you interact uh, with uh, the games. And not only that, but it has opened a new market for games, which is um, uh, young teenager and especially young girls. Um, I think uh, you also need to look in that direction when you look at the near future is uh, what kind of new market are being opened by uh, such ideas. So I think the gesture-based uh, type of interface, probably we're going to see a lot more of that because now, of course, Sony, Microsoft probably are uh, coming up with uh, new concepts to just try to uh, run after Nintendo. Uh, so gesture-based is was something that I think, I mean, the movie Minority Report, I don't quite recall everything, but I think that was one of the features when you, you saw Tom Cruise moving around uh, a lot of it was about um, sort of architectural uh, interaction with data, uh, drawing sort of gestures. I think that's probably something that's already, in a sense, it's already there in, in some form, maybe a, a simple form, but uh, I would expect in two, three years you'll have things, uh, interactions, interfaces much more sophisticated because of this new market. And everybody realized there is uh, money to, to make that. <coughs> Why don't you think televisions and computers converge their technologies? It seems to me if you could operate your computer lying on the sofa with your, just with your remote control, uh, that would be a really big thing. And nobody's done that yet. That's a question I should take because Microsoft has done that, and we're also surprised that it hasn't taken off as much as we thought it would. I mean, you can – I don't know if there – you can – you could buy uh, a media center – computer, which was exactly that. It was, it was XP, and, and now Vista machines come with a little TV-style um, remote control, and you hook it up to your TV, and it's exactly as you say. You can sit back and use the so-called 10-foot user interface to, to browse it, but they haven't been... I mean, they were essentially meant to be like a TiVo box, because that's what they do. That, that also record TV and, and sort of tune TV, but you also have access to the whole sort of PC if you want it, but um, you know, they're not... Um, so, the, so they are there, but the uptake hasn't been. Uh, maybe the marketing companies haven't, or maybe the TV companies are opposed to it. No, I don't think that's it, actually. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's partly because there's this real so-called sort of battle for the living room, and I think people still probably don't feel quite comfortable putting a PC under their TV, right? Because that's really what this, what this is. And the thing is, some companies have come out with much better form factors, fanless ones that look more like pieces of AV equipment. And, and those are sort of popular with the sort of high-end audiophile types. Also, if you think about it, I mean, looking TV is something totally different than... Should I switch it? No, no, it's okay. It works. Uh, looking TV is something totally different than going to a PC, right? Uh, so if, uh, if, you, if you think of the typical posture in front of the TV, I mean, it's just doing nothing, right? Uh, maybe just uh, uh, changing channels. If you are on a PC, it's totally different. So why should you merge it, right? But if you've got the BBC iPlayer now, 
why not? I mean, that seems a much better way of interfacing with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly think that the line is going to get blurrier and blurrier between TVs and PCs for sort of exactly that reason. There are lots of people now who watch most of their TV on their laptops. Yeah. Right? I mean, I sort of, sort of young people certainly are, are doing that these days. My, my nieces do, both do that. It and is so very important, actually, to take notice that uh, we just discussed during the break that application should be taken into account. So it really, really depends on what you want to do with your computer. So if it is a TV watching or playing a game, then yes. But in principle, if you want to do something uh, different, like plotting something or uh, uh, writing something, then having a remote control will not really be helpful. Unless you go to natural interfaces, which are speech-based, gesture-based, and so on. Sorry, I can just take one more thing on. I don't, I don't see why you can't have a mini keyboard in your hand that you've got a large screen television that you can just lie on your sofa and write that way. Because you will get RCI. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe less chance of getting the RS. <laughs> Do you not think there's another gap, though, that we, we've talked about, if you like, some of the retrieval stuff behind the scenes. We've, we've just been talking about the interface technology. But are, are not the, the actual interface applications, if you like, themselves, just not very sophisticated? We've been stuck with the Windows interface for a long time. We have nothing that really helps with the, the sort of multimedia data exploration sort of problem. You know, do you sort of mean? There's something in the middle that's perhaps missing as well. Would you agree with that? This is because we are, uh, I will take this one, I think this is because we are very adaptive. We are humans, so we adapt to anything. So whatever we are given, we simply try to come up with what we can do with that. But actually, one way or the other, we don't push the borders. And this is something which I think we should change in, in way how we watch the technology. That's what I think so. This is really kind of short, so, uh, well, no, I, I just I wanted to sort of clarify the question. Do you mean so when you say do you mean for things like dealing with your digital photographs and your TV and your video just to, to make that whole experience sort of better or what what do you mean exactly? Sorry, I wasn't just thinking about the um, the sort of home consumer uh, interface, but for you know for those who are using this in their profession, you know, data analysis, data exploration the sort of interfaces we have with those that haven't been terribly good in the past. So there seems to be another barrier, in my opinion, between, you know, we talked about natural, lang natural user interfaces, and then we've, we've also said, talked today about some of the technology which allows us to retrieve material based on, you know, the metadata and, and similarity and so on. But is there not something, another wall, if you like, which is the, the bit that comes between those, those two parts? I mean, it would seem to me that that layer is going to be more likely to be very application-specific. So you, if, you're, if in your work, say, you have a certain type of data exploration that you have to do, then it would be, you know, you, you could imagine that there being a sort of an application that would be specialized for that. But I don't know that, that, that a general platform would address all of those. Is that, and I'm not necessarily convinced. What's that? I'm not convinced. You're not convinced? Oh. Well, I, uh, another comment on this I, uh, from my experience is, if you think of it, um, window-based uh, interface go back, you can go back to the 80s and the X-Window system, for example. Um, and all these systems, which are still around today, were created by um, 
essentially engineers, computer scientists, and they were uh, coming out of that uh, thinking about what is data and how do we interact with it. Um, I think there's probably opportunity, uh, given your, your question, to uh, look at uh, uh, how certain companies, let's say Apple, for example, I think is a good example where they try to work with uh, people from the world of design, which have uh, no uh, background in computing per se, uh, but are uh, integrated in the uh, process of creating an interface. Um, probably you, we need more of that. And we need to educate, I would say, um, such people with such background, let's say design people, uh, into what are the issues when you conceive a, uh, an interface on a computer, which is another problem. Um, design people will be very creative and will come up with very um, fantastic <coughs> ideas, but then it will be um, quite deceiving for them that they have to um, sort of uh, diminish their ambition because of the interaction they have with uh, reality of making an interface. Um, I see in my work uh, and in the group we've created at Goldsmith this kind of, of issue that uh, there's a desire to have design involved, but they don't necessarily have the right background. Probably we need to think more about how do, how do we prepare them uh, to address this interface issue, which is an important one. Yeah, I, would, I, would, I would entirely agree with that. You know, and so it's, it's something which Microsoft has suffered from, from not being as design-led as someplace like Apple. So, <coughs> I think so coming more from the university research perspective, it's um, it's fairly difficult to build into projects that integrate a number of different uh, components. Say, you know, a big database component, the uh, media analysis, video analysis component, a major interface component, and then and, and not just for one application, but for a number of applications that sort of cross different uses, say video production, video analysis, and maybe some leisure game activities, all of a sudden you need to put a lot of people together and at the university level it's very hard to find teams that can collaborate and really make this happen. And I've, I know it's being tried at sort of the European level with European Commission projects, but there again the, the glue that ties these together is very tenuous. They're not really integrated that well usually. Is it another one of these multidisciplinary problems that we don't have the right collections of people as well? Um, I think uh, th there are people working on all the pieces and, and they're basically interested in collaborating, but um, coordinating that whole effort and often these collaborations, if it's just sort of external funding, then, you know, Ken takes his share, I can take my share, and that's the end of it. <laughs> and we, we come together just for the review meeting to show that we have a prototype that communicates. Um, at least, you know, that's been my experience. Um, so it, it's very hard to get people who are really motivated to work together, and those people also have the, the finance and the resources to make it happen. Because you also have to do it at a scale. So I'm sure much of your work has not been done at a scale in terms of the tracking of the faces, you know, it just hasn't been done for thousands of people. And, you know, you can, you can make it work for your graduate students sitting in front of the, the camera, but making it work in, in, on the video that's being recorded here is quite a different story, for example. So it's, there's a scale issue also. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on this, I have the, uh, to, to respond. In fact, uh, uh, 
it's very funny. But um, uh, we have the version of the system that we have for the faces uh, have been received the British Computer Science Award for the best demo. It uh, was in Oxford just this year, and uh, in fact, the demo was recognition of emotions in this environment. It was even worse because people wanted to snap the picture, so we had uh, all possible uh, 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 those blinks inside of the image, and still it worked uh, to track the face and to take uh, the apex of the emotion, and based on that, uh, we paint the painting of that person. So this is a work of uh, uh, my group and the group of Simon Colton, also from Imperial College, who does uh, the computer art. So in principle, it does work on this environment, but uh, it is very interesting that he said that because it is true. We do not test the systems. This is so, so, so true what you said. We don't test systems on thousands of people. No, that's... Uh, and we do work in this, with these prototypes because uh, that's, we are researchers and then we give it uh, uh, to uh, Ken and um, but they research it more and then they give it uh, further to... Say, no, we're researchers too. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then uh, it, uh, it ends up, in fact, in the companies who finally build something. But in principle, we really miss uh, uh, having all the pieces and the bits to, to build these kind of things. And I do really believe... Uh, uh, that um, the researchers and the scientists may have visions, but we are not designers and we are not filmmakers like uh, Steven Spielberg to have this uh, huge vision. So we know the limitations of the science. So I think that by that we also limit the things that we propose. So that's it. <coughs> I think another limitation is also um, uh, the experience of research, the researchers that, that bring uh, forward uh, the things are typically the PhD students and their advisors and they're young and, and so um, um, one observation is in the um, many of the elder peoples um, they desire to have a, a mobile phone with, with big um, um, knobs and, and they are not available since uh, Nobody who is developing these, these things um, seems to acknowledge this, this demand. And so um, I think if we would involve more people's testing, it's not just the number but also the diversity to get elderly people, um, to get the genders balanced. So you're the only woman here on the, on the panel. And um, I think uh, that's, these are important things. If, if a car would be designed... Um, uh, by a team only consisting of women would be uh, look completely different and, and would, would work. <laughs> would this, probably this look very nice, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and something would be more convenient and, and not so strong maybe. Or, or So there are differences, of course, and, and, and would be very useful to to uh, gather in all, all these different aspects um, from, from age, from gender, from um, maybe different cultures, other um, other cultures might bring in other uh, ways of thinking, of uh, workflows, or whatever. Mm. Yeah, but uh, I, I would add uh, something <coughs> to this topic. Uh, uh, you mentioned multidisciplinary. multidisciplinarity. Um, my experience of that is it, it takes a, lo a long time to put in place. Essentially, um, it's a bit like the issue of the X window and the window type of approach. The type of teaching we've had has been very sectorial and uh, mixing design, art, computing, uh, math, etc. 
uh, happens, but it happens in the context of, of research projects, of special grants. Uh, it rarely happens at the level of uh, at the, the initial level of education, so that uh, even today when you look around and there are some uh, programs that try to mix these people and, and produce uh, people with mixed degrees, so-called mixed degrees, uh, they, they usually are uh, uh, driven by one department and there is some exchange with an, an, another department. And my own experience in, in that domain is uh, in, in North America and in Europe is that uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, hesitation to actually create what should be a mixed department and, and share um, uh, the benefits and the, and the troubles of, of, of putting in place such programs. Uh, so I think it's very early days. Uh, I think slowly we're recognizing that you, this is important, but it's not quite in place. I haven't seen um, successful models so far. I can think of new uh, centers, Exogram in Montreal, uh, San Diego, UC, SD as, a, as such a center recently, and there's a couple more around the world. Um, and they're all basically traditional in the sense that they're really a stack of a few departments, and by putting them together the, uh, that is in the same building, uh, the hope is they're going to suddenly uh, pop up a, a, a new way of uh, teaching uh, multidisciplinarity. And it's not quite happening. It, it makes it hard this way. So uh, let's, we, we, should think, we should think about that because it, it has uh, important impact. I think it has important impact for the industry in particular in terms of getting graduates which are ready and uh, don't have to be trained in, in that context for, for a while before they're actually now operational. Um, I guess another uh, aspect of this is if you look at the computer game industry, it has changed rapidly in the last few years, and now in a game you'll have very large teams, and they mix uh, people from very different fields. And the, the comment we get by interacting with the um, people from the industry is that they don't find graduates who are ready to operate in such context because there's nothing like that that's being taught uh, in, in, at the university level. And it's not that we cannot do it. It's just we haven't really thought that this is how it should be done. My hope, however, is it's going to happen. Uh, in the context of computer games, is, it is slowly being put in place. But probably we need that also in, in, in the context of, for example, uh, what you brought up, uh, uh, interfaces, definitely. Yeah, it's been a fantastic discussion so far. Um, I'll have to cut the panel short in a, in a moment. I have one last question as um, I'm interested in as a, as a member of the, of the audience myself. The panel are the, the, the panel members. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what, what I would like to know from the panel is, um, well, Alex Hartmann today made a very shocking uh, statement saying basically, Automated processing is dead. I paraphrase. <clears throat> now, he may or may not believe that himself, uh, but what do the other panel members think of that as computer scientists? Is automated processing dead? Is it all social media and, and uh, human computers? Wolfgang. Well, I mean, being responsible for the social media uh, <laughs> track in, uh, also in the Faris project, I would have to say yes. <laughs> No, but, but really, uh, if, you, if, you look at, uh, if you look at the statistics, uh, you see that, that user-generated content now, which, which, which uh, arrives each day, is already more than, uh, than 
what 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 is edited content, right? So you, you get more user-generated content each day than, than edited content. And, and so there's a huge amount of input which you have here. The problem is obviously to filter that input or to find out which of the input you can trust or you can use for the various purposes. Um, and we don't yet have the... Uh, perfect algorithms to do that, right? I mean, there's just so much information there and, and so much noise that it's difficult to, to really use it to its full extent. But if we manage to do that, I think there's enough information to annotate everything. Okay. Um, Thomas. <coughs> yeah. Um, I think um, that depends, and we should uh, support both modes, the fully automated modes, and somebody uh, do not want to, to get up the details how to control the algorithms, um, 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 but also sometimes um, maybe more the experts in their field are interested in, in having exact control and, and to have more um, 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 knobs and, and, and screws to, to tune. Um, um, but what I heard from a, from a social scientist or, uh, say, from a, um, a linguistic uh, colleague is um, that communication, um, and he um, um, investigates human communication. Uh, from a, for um, human communication, it's very uh, important um, to, uh, to have distortions or to, to maybe uh, interrupts. So if you have uh, communication that is free of errors, then that would not work really in human communication. So it's important to interrupt uh, somebody, to ask something, to, to ask for clarification. And maybe that's a good idea um, to, to think of human-computer interaction. Uh, that is important to give feedback to a system or to, um, um, to allow uh, or to, um, to design systems that they, are op that they proceed in their automated processing, but they are open to, to interruption uh, since they, they produce intermediate results. So you are not urged to do an interruption, but you have the, the chance to see what's going on, not to stop the run and the process is dead and you don't have anything when you can restart it, but you see something, what's going on. So it's progress, monitoring, and um, I, I think that's some, something in between. So both is important, the automated <coughs> um, 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 procedures and also the ones you, you can influence and control. Yes. Maya, 30 seconds or less on, on that issue. <coughs> I should not say anything. Okay. Um, what I actually think is that uh, I agree with the, with the gentleman. I really think that we cannot say that uh, we will not do automatic processing, but I do think that we absolutely should not do it fully automatically, especially in the very difficult areas such as uh, human behavior analysis or context analysis. Simply the, the task is such so difficult and so large that, uh, that if we do not have any feedback from the user and we do not use any expert, uh, human expert rules, then uh, simply uh, it's impossible to learn everything from the data because uh, there is not enough data. So it's not enough annotated data. So in principle, I think that uh, we should uh, go with some middle solutions, which are um, data-driven but uh, helped with humans. Okay. Frederick, you're next. Uh, I'd say automation as a, as a goal in research. Uh, so my background is computer vision. I'd say it's alive and kicking. Uh, the reason be, I don't think we'll, we'll put it aside even, even if we keep heading our head on the wall. Um, the reason, I think, is the motivation we have. We want to understand how the human mind brain functions. 
uh, I usually distinguish the brain, which I see as a, as a hardware issue, from the mind, which is the sort of software memory issue. Uh, but in, in both cases, uh, I don't think we'll, we'll be able to avoid uh, trying to uh, um, put automation as, a, as the target because that target really means for us understanding what is happening up there. Mm-hmm. So in that, from the research point of view, I think it is, uh, it is there to stay. Uh, in terms of practical systems, uh, for, the, for the, the present day, of course, uh, there's usually failures rather than anything else. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it is there. Ken wants to. Okay, I'll make this quick. I mean, I, I completely agree with with what you just said. I think it's um, it's not dead, and it's going to be alive for a long time because there's lots of different research areas that we've heard about that people are going to pursue. However, if we killed it today, we could still make a ton of progress on building useful systems by concentrating, as I said in my talk, on using the toolkit we have now in sort of better and better ways. And because you initiated the question, Alex, what's your 30 seconds um, comment on that? Um, well, obviously, a middle way is, is sort of the, the, the Solomonic uh, way of thinking about this. Um, there are niches where I think our time is not well spent uh, trying to sort of add additional tags to YouTube automatically. just doesn't seem like a worthwhile effort. Um, I, but I think if you've... In my world, if you look at surveillance data, well, nobody else is going to do it, so there is is a lot of uh, room for automatic work. So I think uh, clearly there are niches where automatic analysis will survive and thrive for a long time, and I think some of the most creative solutions will be at the intersections to art, to human emotion, and, and so forth, where we find the right mix of socially annotated data, automatic data, targeting human emotion, targeting art, and so forth. I think that's where it'll be really interesting. Okay, so let's put our hands together for the panel. I would like, you, I would like to thank all of you for coming here, for making this event a success. I would like to thank the speakers in particular for agreeing to give up a day of their work and to come here and to share their insights uh, with us. That's hugely appreciated. Many, many thanks for doing that. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah. And I, was, I have a long list. I mean, the, the beauty of doing, the beauty of, do, of, of organizing workshops is uh, when, when you organize that, you're normally not the person who does all the work. The work is really done by lots and lots of people. And I've got a, a long list uh, here. Uh, for example, there's Mark Butler and the audiovisual team, and I actually don't even know the names of everyone here who's on the camera, who does the webcasting, and, and who, who does uh, all, all the work behind it. Uh, there's been Harriet Cornish, who did the graphic design for the badges, for the, um, for, for the poster printing. Uh, there's been Damien Datswell, who put up the stuff on the web and uh, did some publicity. Uh, there's Ray Hu, who did the registration and the welcome desk. There's Helen Huang, who was microphones on the left aisle, uh, important job. Uh, there's Kyung Huang, uh, who did the audiovisual liaison. Uh, Anua Laurenti, who put together all the, uh, the welcome pack and made sure everyone had uh, everything uh, when they registered. Um, Adam Ray, who was on the welcome desk and is a journalist later on to write about this event. Uh, Dawai Sung, who... Uh, presided over the posters and uh, who chaired the sessions today. Uh, Catherine Thomas, who did the catering, or he ordered the, she ordered the catering, uh, printing the, the rooms, uh, 
who organized the boards, Aneta Tumilovitz, uh, who did the parking, the travel arrangements, um, and the hotel uh, for our speakers, uh, Chris Valentine, who did still photography today, um, Jian Zhu on the right-hand side in, in the microphones. Uh, so many thanks to all of you. Without you, we couldn't have done that. Many thanks. Have a safe trip home.